We're going to continue our journey through the book of Hebrews today, but before we get started, I know what you all are thinking. I know, I know, and I just want to reassure you, after reaching out for weeks and weeks, SeaWorld was unable to get us the plastic guards necessary to protect you guys, so we will not, we will not have horse slips today, so you all can just take a deep breath in and let it out. You guys had to be here months ago to get that joke. Uh, Like I said, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Hebrews today uh, with Hebrews chapter 11. So while you turn there, I want to talk to you about something. I have a little little confession to make. I like to throw stuff. I like to throw baseballs. I like to throw footballs. I'll throw some horseshoes. Uh, You come here on a Tuesday night, we're, we're throwing beanbags, playing cornhole. Love throwing uh, money away so I can throw fishing lures into the water. Love to throw stuff. But my very favorite thing to throw, the number one thing I look forward to throwing, is kids. I have done this since before I could remember. Man, a little kid, little baby, and I mean just throw them up in the air. Now, my, my youngest son, Caden, I don't know, he was just aerodynamic or what, but I mean I could chuck him like he could dunk a basketball. And, man, I would just toss him way up in the air, and I would catch him. Mom would freak out. Ah, no, he's fine, you know. But he would never freak out. Not one time, not one of my kids that I've tossed up in the air, or any other kid I've tossed up in the air, Kyler Richardson's kids will stand in line for him to throw him in the air. Uh, not one time do they ever doubt it at all. Like, I throw him in the air, and they just absolute, complete assurance, complete trust, absolutely believe with all their hearts, Dad's going to catch me. Not a, not a doubt in their mind. Nothing. Every single time. Doesn't matter. And granted, I mean, the younger kids, maybe they've seen me do it to the older kids or, or whatever. They've seen me do it a few times. So they've had maybe some little bit of experience or, or, or some, something in the past that, that, that could give them some trust. Or, or uh, you know, maybe not. It didn't matter. They trusted every single time that I wouldn't drop them. And I never did. It's faith. It's faith. Just believe it. And as we start Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews, he wants to talk to us about faith. We'll jump right into this thing. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. So the author of Hebrews, man, he sets us up to divine faith, and then he does what all good storytellers do, right? He goes to the beginning. He goes like way, way, way to the beginning and says, what we see by faith, we believe that God made the word, by, by just his word, created the universe so that what we see now, what is seen, is made out of things that are visible. It, took faith, it takes faith to believe that. It also takes faith to believe what schools are going to tell your kids now. The reason it takes faith is because none of us were there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. None of the, the guys that were going to push evolution, they weren't there. 
It takes faith, no matter where you look at it. You look at evidence, I can look at evidence. We're going to interpret that evidence two different ways. There are plenty of evidence to confirm. But the point is, whether I heard it or seen it, it takes faith because I wasn't there, you wasn't there. It takes faith to believe whatever we're told. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for. So I throw the kid in the air. He feels assured. Daddy's going to catch me. Even though they can't see, they don't, they don't know for sure. I could drop them. I could, I could miss. I could do whatever. But they believe. They faith. And it was for it. By it. By faith, the people of old received their commendation. Who, though, are these people of old? The book of Hebrews is going to give us over 17 people, 17 plus, depending on how you break it down. Uh, men, women, that we're supposed to be uh, focused on in understanding their stories through the lens of faith. These are, these are faithful people. These are what God would call, we call, you know, this, this is known as the Hall of Faith, but we'd call them God's Hall of Famers. All right? That's who these people are. They're, they're his Hall of Famers. So who are these people? The first guy we're going to look at, and everybody kind of scratched their head on the staff. They're like, seriously, this is the guy you're going with? It's the second guy listed. It's a guy named Enoch, and you're going to understand why they were kind of like, what? Joe Drysdale shaking his head back there because he thought the same thing. What in the world are you going to talk about Enoch for? So let me tell you, we're going to read through. This is what it says. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found in him because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. All right, but who is Enoch? Who is this guy? All right? The reason everyone was so confused is because we don't really hear a whole lot about Enoch. As a matter of fact, you go back to Genesis, Genesis 5, and you get this guy begat this guy begat this guy begat Enoch, and then you get this line. Are you ready? Now, look, I'll go slow because if you blink, we're going to go past this thing. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5, 24. That's it. That is literally, uh, there's one reference in Jude, and we could kind of chase that bunny, but really, this is it. In the context of Genesis, this is, this is the story we get on Enoch. And the reason that I chose him, the reason I wanted to talk about him this morning, before we get started on this next guy, who we've got a lot to talk about, Listen, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, and God took him. All Enoch did was walk with God, and God says that's a Hall of Fame life. Every single person in this room, I don't care who you are, if you believe, in, if you, believe if you have faith in every single morning, you can get up and you can, by faith, say, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? Where are you leading me today? Where are we going? Who am I supposed to be? God, help. Lead me. I, I want to be with you. And you know what? By faith, you're going to walk through that day, and you're going to walk with God. And God says for you in this room that that's noteworthy. So that's the second person listed in his hall of faith. You can be a hall of famer. Get up every day and say, you know what? And you can do that. Like, you can't not do that as far as that goes. You're, that's it. You can have a relationship with God. 
And that's noteworthy to God. And that's all we get on Enoch, and I love that. Because I'll tell you what, I'm just a regular dude. Like, 10 years, 20 years after I'm gone, if somebody actually remembers my name, it'll be a miracle. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Albert Pujols. All right, nobody's going to remember me. There's not going to be, I don't have to worry about people tearing down my statues later. Like, it's, it's not going to happen, right? And I don't think most of us in this room can relate. Like, we're not, but God says, God says that you're a Hall of Famer. That's pretty awesome. Enoch gives us nothing, but he gives us a lot of hope. Now, this other guy, if Enoch didn't give you some hope, this next guy, man, if you're anything like me, he ought to give you a lot of hope. Now, Enoch, we only get like a sentence. That's it. Abraham, you've probably heard of this guy, he's considered the father of the faith. Abraham, we've got volumes on this guy. I like to call him our, our work in progress. All right, and this is what Hebrews has to say about Abraham. Listen carefully. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So who in the world... Who is this Abraham guy? Who is he? We pick up Abraham's story in Genesis 12, and this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, notice his name is Abram at this point. It's not Abraham, all right, just Abram. Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. But what I want you to notice, a couple things. First, Abram's just there. Like, Abram's not, you, you don't get, Abram was this great guy doing all these great things, and he was out seeking, nope. You don't see him out seeking God, doing anything. Abram was just there, and God shows up and says, Hey, you. Lord says to Abram, I want you to go from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. All right? And I'm going to make you such a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, make your name great, and that you'll be a blessing to literally every family that, that honors you. You're going to bless the whole world. All right? And... To Abraham's credit, he gets off to a promising start. We'll pick it up. So Abraham went. Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot, that's his brother-in-law, was with him. Abram was, listen to this, 
75 years old when he departed from Haran. Genesis 12.4. So here's Abraham. Now, now we're getting a little more information on Abraham. Abraham was 75. He was a little past his prime, what we would call his prime today. I don't know, you talk to some 75-year-olds, maybe, maybe we got that prime figuring out a little wrong. But Abraham was 75 years old. And he says, hey, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave everything you know and go to a land I'm going to show you. God doesn't even tell him the land. You know, like he gives him a GPS coordinate. He says, I just want you to pick up your stuff and go. And to Abraham's credit, he says, all right, here's my father-in-law, here's my wife, here's my stuff. Let's go. And he goes. And man, when you can really kind of dwell on that and consider it, well, heck, man, it's no wonder he's in the hall of faith. That took a little bit of, a, a little bit of faith. Here's a God that you don't know who reaches out to you and tells you to go, and you go. That, that was faithful. But literally just like, whatever, two verses later, we get a different picture of Abraham. Looks a little less faithful. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, again, her name's not Sarah yet, it's Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Really good framing. My life will be spared for you, baby. Can you imagine? You're with your beautiful wife at the convenience store. And here that, that dreaded thing happens, man. The dude comes in with the gun, and he's going to rob the place. He's taking everybody's wallets too. And you look at your beautiful wife, and you say, whoop. You put her in front, and then you whisper in her ear, baby, you just stand here. <laughs> you stand here, and, and, and by saving me from getting shot by him, it'll go good for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think she'd feel super loved and special right then. Matter of fact, where exactly was his faith in God providing? Faith in all of this mess. This is the wimpiest thing. And here's what's crazy about the whole thing. Not only does he have the thought, all right, he has this thought, twice this this happens again which is even crazier but this actually happens he goes to egypt and apparently sarah is so beautiful that they take notice of her and they call and egypt, they end up coming out of egypt after pulling this this ruse over their eyes of egypt for a few minutes there they you know then they figure out that no they're husband and wife and the egyptians are offended and they're like here take stuff they actually give them like animals and gold and all kinds of stuff and get out of here before you get us in trouble with god with your God. It's, so, so God takes this really wimpy guy. I mean wimpy. That is, that is wimpy. All right? Nobody's standing in line to go to prom with that guy. All right? And God chooses to bless him anyway in spite of, of a clear lack of faith. You'll notice we didn't see that part mentioned in, in Hebrews 11. And a little time goes by. Abraham has some good stuff happen, right? We just talked a, a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, John talked about Abraham rescuing Lot. You know, here's this, this little ragtag. Here's this same wimpy guy, super wimpy, taking a, a ragtag group of 300 guys and taking on kings with armies and winning. 
He's had a few victories. He has a few other struggles. But in the end, God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. We pick it up in 15. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. You guys tried that before? It's not happening. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. All right, he believed what God said. Now understand, we started this journey at 75. Abraham ain't got no kids. This is kind of crazy already, but God makes him a promise. Abraham believes. Well, that's, that's good. We can see some faith there. And again, God is going to reaffirm this process. We're going to pick it up again in 17. And God said to now Abraham, all right, God's changed Abram's name to Abraham. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Man, again, God's reaffirming this, this promise to this very old man. Matter of fact, when God reaffirms this promise, are you ready? Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah's 90. And I promise you, and again, they don't have an heir. And, and here's what's crazy. Right before this, all right, I, I could, we could have spent like three weeks going through the Hall of Faith, just so you know. Uh, I could have spent a lot more time just on Abraham. Right before this, you know, these faithful folks, these champions, these Hall of Faithers, Hall of Famers, right, decided uh, Sarah, and again, okay, if he failed the test with Egypt, he's really, really going to fail another test because Sarah's going to look at Sarai, is going to look at him and say, Abram, Baby, I know I haven't been able to conceive a child. I have an idea. What you should do is you should take my, 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 my servant, Hagar, and you should conceive a child with her. Now, what Abram should have said is, Baby, I love you. There ain't no way that's going to happen. And boy, I'm sure Sarah would have felt really super special and loved at that point. What Abraham did, though, was he said, Well, doggone it, that's a great idea. The whole world right now is paying still still suffering from the consequences of that one sin. And even then, with them trying to literally take matters into their own hands, do things their own way, God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Abraham, I, I'm going to bless you. You're not, you're not getting this. I'm going to bless you and Sarah with a son, and entire nations are going to come from her. And what is Abraham's faithful response? But then again, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? This is your champion of the faith, laughing in the face of God, literally falling on the ground laughing. You ever been tickled to the point of laughing on the ground i mean you really got to be laughing and i won't throw too many rocks at abraham because even though god commends her in hebrews 11 for all this faith guess what sarah does the exact same thing she laughs laughs in the face of god 
But here's what's crazy. At any time, any time, I don't know, if, I guess if it was based on works, God could have just turned his back, but that isn't what happened. God ends up living up to his promise. They have a son. He's born. This, this, this 100-year-old man's going to have a son. He's going to name him Isaac. He's going to have a son with Sarah. And this promise that God gave, the first, first step that you're going to have this son is going to come true. And we'll pick things back up. We'll go back to Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, to whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. So, if you don't know Abraham's story, let's get into this thing. So, keep in mind, a son was born. All right? Isaac was born. At 100 years old, they're going to have a baby. Here's little baby Isaac. Now, you can imagine, they've been waiting a long time for this baby. 100 years. Matter of fact, they've been waiting 25 years since God gave him the promise in Haran. The initial start of this thing. So, even though he's been walking with God, it still took a long time. Do you guys like waiting? Right. Imagine how hard that was to wait for. That's a, that's, that's a heck of a long time. And then God's going to throw a little wrench. So they're growing. They're having this family time, man. It's getting good. And then, and then something's going to happen. And here we go. We're going to pick this thing up. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. They waited a hundred years, a hundred years to conceive his child. This, this child that God had promised, this child that God had promised that they would have descendants as innumerable as the stars, that kings and queens would come from, this, this, or this beautiful promised child. And God says, I'm going to test you. You ever hear people say, God won't test you? That is not true. God is going to test you. We go through tests. God tests people. He tested Abraham here. And he tests him. And he says, look, take this son, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you. Sound familiar? And I want you to sacrifice them there, to offer him as a burnt offering. And what does Abraham do at this time? This, this same guy that hid behind Sarah, sort of the same guy, same name. He gets up, he grabs two of his servants, he tells Isaac, come with me. He leaves and he goes exactly to the place God told him. And then Abraham he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said to him, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
And they went, both of them together. Now, I don't know what kind of picture you guys have had. If you know this story, um, what kind of picture you had in your head? I think the old, you know, the little flannelgrams they used to give you in Sunday school. And, you know, you see Abraham and you see this, this little boy in Isaac. This is not a little boy. This guy is big enough to carry enough wood to burn a human being. All right, that's not like a stick of wood. All right, Isaac is big enough to carry all this firewood. Estimates are, you know, depending on how he was built, whatever, between 15 and 20 years old is what we're looking at. So that means, how old is Abraham? 115 to 120 years. Now we're going to talk about Abraham's faith, but I don't want to miss Isaac's faith. You are talking about a 15, 20-year-old guy and a 120-year-old man. How much faith did it take for Isaac? How much trust in his dad? Pick up the wood, son. God will provide. And Isaac's going to trust that. So he picks up the wood and he lays it on on Isaac, his son. He he lays it on his back. Remember that. Just remember that. And he says... Behold, the fire in the wood. Where's the burnt lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide one for himself. All right? So here's this strong young lad and this old man going up, the, going up to the thing, and he's carrying all this wood, and they go together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said to him, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So here's Isaac and Abraham. And they walk up to this place, to this stone, where they're going to do this sacrifice. This has got to happen. Isaac, who's big enough to carry all this firewood. And his old man, literally, his old, old man. I want you to think about that. Man, Isaac could have just said, nope, and ran off. He could have said, you know what, I, I think that's a bad idea. How about I put you on this altar and I offer you up, right? I mean, he's a young buck that is carrying all this. He could have done anything. How much faith for Isaac to say, okay, Dad, you know, Abraham bound him up. I'm pretty sure if I'm 20 years old and you're 120 years old, I could probably resist your bounding. Isaac laid down and let his dad tie him. His dad, who waited a hundred years, a hundred years. Most of us can't wait a hundred minutes. A hundred years. Tied his son up. Drew the knife. And the angel of the Lord stopped him. Now listen to the words. I want you to think about this. The angel of the Lord says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. The beginning of this, it said what? God tested Abraham. What I want you to see is, yes, God tested Abraham. 
But God did a whole lot of prep work on Abraham. There was a lot of experience before God brought that test. It was not like a surprise that Abraham passed the test. God knew beforehand. We may not know, we're reading the story, but God knew what Abraham was going to do. He had prepared him. He had worked on him. It is not the same Abraham. By name, sure, but he's not the same guy that, that said, Sarah, stand here. This is a different guy. Matter of fact, we get a whole different picture of Abraham once Isaac's born. He's seen God's promises, and here he is, faithful, just trusting. God will provide a lamb, son. Even if it means that he's got to bring you back, I don't know how this is going to work, but I, I just know that God provides. And here's Isaac, believing in his dad and believing in the God of his dad enough to say, all right, dad, I'm going to lay down. And it just, it's this beautiful picture, right? It'll just be, you know, a couple thousand years later, and there's going to be another one and only son who comes. And he's going to carry some wood on his back. And he's going to go to the place of sacrifice. And he's going to lay down, and he's going to let a guy drive spikes through his hand. A guy that he literally created. On a tree that he literally created. A guy who, the only reason that guy was so good with a hammer and a nail to drive spikes is because that God, that guy gave him the power to do that. And he's just going to lay there. Let that happen. That lamb, you know, God provided a ram in that situation for Isaac that day. But that was just a foreshadow. We were looking to the cross the entire time. We're getting this beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior who came to offer himself for us. Laid there, just like Isaac. Just that whoever would believe on him would have salvation, eternal life. So what's the point? What's the point of looking at all these, these Old Testament folks? One, the first thing. Old Testament saints were commended by grace for their faith and not for their works. For by it, that is, faith, the people of old received their commendation. In other words, Abraham wasn't credited with righteousness because he threw Isaac up on an altar. He was credited as righteousness because he believed what God said. He just believed. I throw the kid up. And I catch him. And he just believes. Believe dad's going to catch him. Just believed. Point two, Old Testament saints were made perfect in Christ so that their commendation by grace for their faith would become salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, just as ours today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. The concept is here. I've had many people ask me, you may have wondered this. What about them Old Testament folks? How were they saved? How, how, how is David going to be in heaven? How is Abraham going to be in heaven? What's, if we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone, how? In the same way that you and I, in our period of history, we look backwards to the cross. We look backwards to God's fulfillment in Christ Jesus for salvation. We look back to Jesus. They looked forward. Now, they didn't have specifics. You and I, we've got the details. Which, honestly... Man, that gives us a lot less excuses because we've got lots and lots of details. I could literally spend every single hour of the rest of my life 
pouring and studying and reading this book, and I will never, never glean all the insights, all the wisdom, have all the details figured out. Never. We've got all of it. They didn't. They just had a promise from God. Hey, this is going to happen in the future. And they believed. They were saved by faith, looking forward to the promise. And you know what? That should be assuring to us, because guess what? We're looking forward to another promise. I mean, yes, we're looking back at the cross, but Jesus is going to return. And that should inspire us. You know, we're going to be looking forward one day. We'll get to that in a second. Step three. Good works and obedience to God then and always have been a, are a direct result of our faith. We are not saved by our good works. However, we are saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Abraham was not saved again because he threw Isaac up, or any time he obeyed God. He was saved by his faith, for just believing God. You and I today, we are not saved by anything we do. We are saved because of our faith in God. I believe God. God says, I said, my only son, that whoever believes in him, belief, shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are saved if you believe. But you are saved for good works. In other words, there's stuff God wants to do with your life. He has a plan for you. Not that he needs you. All right, in the same way I say, I look at my son and I say, hey, um, help me change a tire on a car. Now, I do not need his help to change a tire on a car. But here's what I know. It's good for him to learn, and he and I get that time together to build our relationship. It's a good thing. God does not need a doggone thing from you and I. But he invites us to be part of his program because he knows it's good for you and I. And we get that time together in our relationship. It's that same picture, man. It's our Heavenly Father spending time with us. He's got stuff for us to do. You guys, everybody in this room, if you have called yourselves a Christian, if you have faith, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you are a Christian, God has something for you to do. Matter of fact, he has something to do that he prepared beforehand in the same way that Abraham was prepared, all right? When, when God knew what was going to happen, he was trying, it, it wasn't even about Abraham. He was painting a picture all the way to Jesus. God wanted, it isn't like a, a happenstance that those things reflect each other. That was God's plan. That was the purpose of that, was that you and I could recognize, could see Christ way back here, God's promise, in real big details, lived out. But God had to prepare Abraham for that moment. God is preparing you. You're going to have moments. You've got work to do. Not to get saved, but because you're saved, God is including you in his program. It's beautiful. It's an honor. Step four, and this is where, you know, the other three, more like kind of like theology type thoughts and stuff like that. This is where we're going to get a little more practical, right? These ordinary men and women that make up God's hall of faith, his hall of famers, are just like you and I and have lives filled with at least as many defeats as they have victories. And that, that should inspire you and I to continue pressing on in our faith. When I look back at Abraham, and I see how messed up he is, but man, when I read Hebrews 11, does the Lord, what, what does the Lord call me to remember? 
He calls me to remember the moments he got it right. Now, Abraham is pretty messed up. I'm pretty messed up. You're pretty messed up. But when God looks at you, when God presents you, when he remembers you, Christian, he isn't talking about the mess-ups. Those mess-ups are just part of the plan for getting you to where you're going. You're going to make the best of it, just like you did with Abraham. Sent him out of Egypt with gold and donkeys. Seriously? He used it, redeemed it for his purpose. He's doing the same thing in you and I. And when he calls you to remembrance, he calls me to remembrance, praise God for his grace, he remembers the good stuff. He remembers the good stuff. And that should inspire us. That should inspire us each, every one of us, every day, to continue forward. So I mess up. Abraham messed up. What did he do? He got up, put his nose forward, and kept going. When you mess up, man, I should have said that. I shouldn't have done this. You know, your sins of omission, your sins of commission, I do this. I, I should have done that, and I didn't do it. I did this, and I shouldn't have done that. Whatever it is, lay it at the altar. Lay it at the cross. Get up. Point your nose forward. Keep going. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. I, I love that illusion of being born again. When you're born, you're a baby. You ever see babies try to walk? It's hilarious. They fall, they fall, they fall, but they just keep getting up and do it, and eventually they're really good at walking. And they still fall sometimes. You can be whatever. You're priming your life. You hit a slip of ice and done. You still fall, but guess what? You get up, you get up, you get up, you keep going. We get up, we get up, we get up. We keep pressing on. We keep going. We can do that every day. It doesn't matter who you are. Man, you could be John Wagner and you got it all figured out. And you can get up and you say, Lord, I offer myself to you. You could be Joe. Got a lot of work to go with Joe. Larry York. Doesn't matter who you are. You get up and you say, God, I'm yours. Lead me. Whatever's behind me is behind me. Just keep pressing on. Matter of fact, we're going to get to that next week. This leads us up to this final verse. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Lay aside the junk and keep pressing forward. You know who is really good at that? I had to, like I said, there's like, whatever, 17 dudes. I could have spent all day, three weeks, a month, six months in this just one little chapter. It's really hard to just narrow it down. I really wanted to talk a lot about David. David was another one. A, God, a man after God's own heart. David. Now, he did some cool things, man. He threw some rocks and knocked out some giants. That was cool. His, his mighty man, man, I wanted to be a mighty man. That's, man, if you want to be in that list, some dudes are awesome. Soldiers raging wars, winning the world over. David was the man, all right? Until he wasn't. Until he wasn't. Until he, he completely dropped the ball. You know, at the very beginning of David's life, it's no wonder, oh, a man after God's own heart. I bet he was. That isn't what that really meant. It wasn't about David's heart being like God's. It had nothing to do with it. David messed up really bad. Read about Uriah the Hittite. 
That dude was the best dude. Like, that is the dude you wanted to go to war with. If you were a soldier, Uriah was your guy that you wanted right next to you. This guy was so faithful, so disciplined, such a good guy, that after David impregnates Uriah's wife, all right, he calls Uriah back from the things with the plan to, like, get him to sleep with his wife to hide the fact that he knocked her up. And says, and Uriah, no, 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 I'm not going home. I need to be out in the field with my soldiers. David tries to get him drunk and send him back to his wife. And Uriah says, no. I mean, this was an honorable dude. This was the guy that, man, if, you were, if he was by your side, you had full trust. That guy was going to do the right thing. So what does David do? Uriah doesn't cooperate. He kills him. Has him killed on the field of battle. Makes it so that he was going to get killed. Murders him. A man after God's own heart. You want to talk about clean, some sins? A sin that you could cling to and probably carry that around for a long time? As far as that goes, we see, we see David wrestle with the, the results of that. But here's what we don't see. David messed up. But David never turns away from God. He repents. If, sorry, I, psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm is David repenting. Because he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he was after God. It wasn't about David's heart. It was about God's heart, and I want some of the, I want to follow God. And David screwed up, and Abraham screwed up, and I screw up, and you screw up. Are we going to hold on to that, or are we going to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. David, he didn't have the name. He had the promise. Abraham didn't have the name. He had the promise. Enoch didn't have the name. Not in their place in history. You and I got the name. We can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we can press forward. We can just believe. Just believe. He throws us up, and we can just trust that our Heavenly Father is going to catch us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We, we don't deserve that. You are so incredibly gracious. You are so incredibly loving. Thank you for making a way, Lord. And I just pray you would give all of us hearts that fall in love with that. Lord, thank you for the gift of belief. And I just pray it grows in us. Our faith continues to grow in you, Lord, that we just trust and rely in you, Lord, that we are just like those little kids. We just know our daddy's going to catch us. We just know it. And Lord, thank you that, man, when you remember us, Lord, you've laid, laid all of our junk, all these mistakes, all these sins, you've, you, you've nailed them to a cross. 2,000 years ago, them things are dead. They've been buried a long time. The stuff I've done, the stuff that I'm going to do. You've, you've taken care of everything. And we can just look forward and press forward in you. We praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray you would help us to own that, to grow in that this day, and to go out into the world as if we believe that what you say is true. In Jesus' name, amen.